Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand. We started, Jake mentioned, kind of a new flow for service. And one of the things that that churches for hundreds of years have done is stand for the reading of the word that's kind of out of Nehemiah and for us, just kind of a recognition that we're in a time where we, we need God's word. We need God's revealed word, and we're thankful for that. So I'm going to read the first part of this. I'm going to have you read the very last part of it with me. I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and you're going to say, thanks be to God. So Hebrews chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let's read this last part together. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Good job. You guys can have a seat. There you go. Yes. We have been in a series um, about why you need the church uh, more than ever, and this passage has been on my heart for months, really. Um, and in part because of it speaking specifically to let's not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. And so that's been a forced habit for the last year, is not meeting together in the ways that we as the church are used to meeting together. Um, And so now it's a time to pick the habit back up, but there's probably a rightful question either in the front or the back of your mind of, is this a habit that's worth picking back up? Because church attendance has been dropping for years, you know? And some of that is um, not like laziness, it's people just, or not knowing why, but people just completely disengaging from the faith um, in, in our culture. And, and part of that is not knowing why they were doing it in the first place. Uh, there's a podcast I listen to, it's a soccer podcast, the guy's Irish, and so the other day they podcasted on Sunday and so they were talking about churching it up, and then he just reflected on being a kid and his parents making him go to church, but they didn't go to church, and they had his nephew take him to church, or their, their nephew, his cousin, take him to church. And so they went into the church, they sat there for three minutes, and then they left so that the kid could genuinely say that he took his cousin to church, but, you know, he didn't have to lie about it, and just how it didn't mean anything. And so there's part of that of people getting out of the habit, but it's also just people engaging less. Now, I grew up up north, so I think this is more of a southern thing, but I hear about people that went to church like Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, three times a week, every single week, you know, and now, and this is for years we've been hearing this, that it's, you know, people come maybe two, two Sundays a month, um, if that for a variety of reasons, and that's, not, and COVID has exacerbated that because uh, we have the live stream and you can stay home, and so live stream viewers, we're glad you're here. Uh, but you should be in here, you know, uh, if you can. And this quote killed me this week about, I was reading Spurgeon about this Hebrews 10:24 passage, and Spurgeon was a pastor in London in the late 1800s. And so this is, this is what he writes. I'm afraid there are some who consider one another to provoke 
Uh, oh, no, no, this is it. Yes, there are some who even make bad use of what ought to be a great blessing. He's talking about a technology here in the late 1800s who make bad use of what ought to be a great blessing, namely the printing press and the printed sermon by staying at home to read a sermon because they say it's better than going out to hear one. I'm like, this is 150 years ago. We have not changed. Only the technology has changed by which we do that. And so that's part of it is that we've broken the habit and, you know, should we get back in the habit? And to be clear, church is not the goal. Discipleship is the goal. The goal is knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, uh, following Jesus, becoming more like Jesus. Uh, but the church is, you know, what God calls us to and a means to that end. And so I want to use uh, two pictures as I'm getting going this morning. One is a KitchenAid mixer. And the other is going to, you don't have to show it yet, but the other is going to be an incubator. We bake stuff in our house. We've joked about opening the Ramsey Family Bakery. We appreciate good baked goods. If you're baking something sweet, what are like the main ingredients that you're always going to have if you're baking something? Okay, sugar, sugar, good, good. Uh, so I'm going to put that down here. You need sugar. What else do you need? Flour, good, man. This is great. I thought this was going to go off the rails faster than it's about to. What's the other things that you need? Hot dog. Did someone say hot dogs? Oh, I thought you said buttocks, like Forrest Gump. I thought, man, this is... Okay, so this is what I thought was going to happen. There's in this middle one, there's like butter or eggs um, or like milk. Okay, but what do those all have in common? They're all liquids. It's okay. It's good. And then there's other things that you can put in there, like vanilla, or you can put in, uh, you need a little salt. You might need some baking powder, uh, um, some, some, some uh, maybe fruit or chocolate. You could put that in there. Yeah, cinnamon, that's a good one. Okay, we don't need all these. Here is the point, like there's big ingredients of that that you need and Ken mentioned this last week and we've been talking about this as we talk about Oak City Church and discipleship that it's less of a formula and more of a recipe with some common ingredients that you need but they're big ones that you always need and so these three weeks in this series why we need church more than ever last week Ken talked about worship and let's talk about flowers like the gospel uh, that you need content that we you don't we do not need to to make up how life works um, we don't we don't need to go discover it. We need to discern what's been revealed to us by God and the person of Jesus and the word of God. And so that is foundational for it. You know, and we, and Ken was talking about an orientation towards that and orienting your life around the truths of the gospel that he has revealed to us. But that needs to be a habit of, you know, focusing on God and discerning and, and receiving from him. Let's, let's call sugar mission and we'll get into that you know, in the next few weeks, but then how then shall we live and broadly define, like, love your neighbor and go and make disciples, and what does it mean for us to go out from here? Now, if you put flour and sugar into a bowl and then you put it in the oven, what's going to happen? I don't even know, because no one would ever do that. Nothing good. Let's call this middle part liquid, like your relationships or your friendships and the church that, that he's called us into, where it's the glue that puts this stuff together and makes it work. This is not a great analogy. It's not a perfect analogy. It's not even a great one, but just run with me. You know what I mean? And the second picture that I put in that uh, is an incubator. And 
it's the environment within which growth um, can happen, like an oven for a recipe that you put it in there and then something happens to it. And the church is like an incubator for the things that need for growth in, in the faith, and these are the components that need to be in there for stuff to grow. And we don't like that because in an incubator, you kind of got to stare at eggs and wonder when they're going to hatch. And that is what discipleship is a lot of the time, and, and we don't work like that. Uh, we went on vacation last week, went to Puerto Rico. Three people have commented to my tan. I swear to you, I did not wear white so that I would look more tan. I don't think through stuff like that. Um, it was great to be on vacation. One of the things I saw that, that did I put this in there, the vacation notice thing? This is so great. This is so true, too. A European out of office. I'll be away camping for the summer. Please email back in September. They, they all take the month of August. The whole, all of Europe takes the month of August off. Um, this is an American out of office. I've left the office for two hours to undergo kidney surgery, but you can reach me on my cell at any time. Is that not totally true? Like, we want it now. And church doesn't work like that. Discipleship doesn't work like that. Like, you create the right... Um, environment and, and the circumstances and you put the recipe together and then it happens. It's the incubator for content. And this passage gets to this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, this is all gospel. It's all content. It's all pictures from the Old Testament of the tabernacle and the temple where there's the holy of holies and this is the place where God is and you want to get there but you can't go there because our sin separates us from that. Like we approach God but we only approach God on his terms and he lays out his terms and there's a veil, a curtain between us and him and the high priest could go there once a year but only if he was perfectly clean otherwise like he would die in the presence of God in the condition he was in. And so through Christ, when Christ dies on the cross, that veil tears from the top to the bottom because he opened it for us. We didn't open it. Um, we didn't do something. He did something so that we could be in the presence of God. All content, all telling us the truth about ourselves, our, our, our God, and how we relate to him. Then let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water and hold fast to that confession. All content, Right? And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So there you got relationships and you have mission. Stir up one another, all the one another's in the New Testament. Like we need each other um, to love and good works, to mission, not neglecting to meet together relationships, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I have three points for this message. Um, it's fairly simple. The first one is you need friends. Uh, okay. Second one, friendships are not as easy as we make them out to be. And the third one is that the church has a unique ability to friendships to facilitate the friendships that you need the most. You need friends. You need friends. That sounds really easy, but it's probably harder than we think that it is. Uh, John Pritchett and Alan and I were having breakfast on Friday morning. John reminded me that he, sh he said something about this a couple weeks ago, this meme, that Jesus... Uh, the biggest miracle Jesus ever pulled off was having 12, 12 close friends into his 30s. And you don't realize it until you think about it, and you're like, that's totally true, you know? I found this article, someone sent me this um, probably two or three years ago, but it's just stuck in my head. It's a, a guy that writes for the Boston Globe, and he says, editors, editors approached him and said, we have a story that we think is perfect for you, we want you to write. He's like, okay, what is it? 
And they said, we want you to write about how middle-aged men have no friends. <coughs> and he's like, what are you trying to say? You know, like, calling me a loser because I have no friends? And he said he took it, like, personal, but he said by the time he got back to his desk, he realized they were right. He has no friends. <laughs> like, he thought through his friendships, and they weren't real active friendships. They were, like, past friendships. And he said, um, he said, uh, what qualified me for it wasn't because I was unusual in any way, but because my story is very, very typical. And so he goes through this. He says, I turned 40 in May. I have a wife and two young boys. I moved to the suburbs a few years ago where I own a fairly ugly home with white vinyl siding and two aging station wagons with crushed goldfish crackers serving as floor mats. When I step on a Lego in the middle of the night on my way to the bathroom, I try and tell myself that it's cute that I've turned into a sitcom dad. During the week, much of my waking life revolves around work or getting ready for work or driving to work or driving home from work or texting my wife that I'm going to be late from work. Much of everything else revolves around my kids. I spend a lot of time asking them where their shoes are, and they spend a lot of time asking me when we can have some dada time. That's a very cute phrase that makes me feel very guilty every time I hear it. <laughs> he said, um, they ask in moments when they know I can't give it to them, when I'm distracted by an email or my phone or I'm dealing with the constant boring logistics of running a home. And when someone pointed that out to me a few years ago, I realized, man, that's what, like, we just kind of slide into an isolation that we don't know what to do about. Um, John Fouché and I are in this group of pastors, and we were talking to them a few uh, weeks ago, and one of the guys articulated this in a different way. He said, my, he said that he and his wife were reflecting on, like, their friend group from a few years ago, and there was, like, a big group. It was, like, 40 people that were, like, their people, you know? And then it turned into, like, 20 people pre-COVID because people just moved away or moved on or whatever. And then after COVID, it's like five or 10 people. And he said, now it's so hard to figure out how to like make new good friends. He said, because I've got this job at church and then I come home from church and I've got like a second job, which is the house, you know, and, and the kids and all the things that have to happen. He said, the effort that it would take to like coordinate schedules with somebody and then sit down and have enough meaningful conversations where you get to, to the meaningful things just doesn't seem like it's worth the effort. And man, I think, I know that, I mean, I'm a guy, so I don't know what it's like for a girl. I think it's easier for girls, but maybe it's not, you know? Um, but for guys, I think this is totally true. And so this, this guy goes on and he says he started doing this article. He said, study after study started showing that those who are more socially isolated were much more likely to die during a given period than their socially connected neighbors, even after you corrected for age, gender, and lifestyle choices like exercising and eating right. Um, loneliness has been linked to an increased risk in cardiovascular disease and stroke, the progression of Alzheimer's. One study found that it can be as much of a factor, risk factor as, as smoking. And so in that, my question is, do you have friends or did you have friends? Like, do you have good, active, meaningful, vital relationships now, or, or did you? And you're just, like, kidding yourself that you have any that are meaningful in the moment. Um, when, when John and Al and I were having breakfast and we were talking about this, I thought, John and Alan are elders of our church. Alan, at this, right now, is an inactive elder because of just a bunch of other stuff he's got going on in life. And so he's elder qualified, but he's not actively serving as an elder. And I thought, we have active and inactive friendships. Like, we have friends that are qualified good friends, but they're not active good friends right now. And they were active good friends, but they're not right now. And so those don't count <laughs> in the do you have friends, right? Do you have active friendships? It's like an inbox, but then the stuff that you've archived, you know? 
And do you have vital, meaningful friendships? And like, what does that mean? Could you define what that means? Um, what's the commitment that you have to each other? How often do you communicate and what's the content of that communication? So you need friends and friendships are not as easy as we make them out to be. I started going through like the hall of fame of my friendships and I would encourage you to do this. Starting with David Stemper, I moved to Heartland, Wisconsin when I was six years old. David lived two doors down. We met. I said, hey, you want to be friends? He's like, yeah, let's be friends. We were committed. And uh, so David Stemper and I were great childhood friends. We, would, we had acres of woods behind our houses, so we'd run around in those woods. We'd beat stuff up. We'd climb trees. We'd occasionally burn stuff. Don't tell my, my mom's watching. Uh, we would throw stuff at each other. We'd throw stuff at other kids. We'd get in trouble for picking on the neighbor kid. I can still remember Van Clarkson's mom at the bus stop giving us the business for picking on her kid who ended up being a giant, so it was a bad idea. But like that's just the friendship that we had, you know? And then Jim Vilter, he lived on a dairy farm. He was a great friend to have when you're like fourth, fifth, sixth grade. You want a friend who has a, like a, a hayloft. It was great. Uh, and then a kid named Mark Johnson, who at the end of seventh grade, his family moved to California. It was the first friendship that was like ripped away by circumstances and moved into inactive status because he lived across the country. The first of many friendships, right? Um, and then a, a guy in high school um, who, is, who is still like in my inactive friendships, probably the best one. Uh, our parents were, were both um, going through divorces and so we related around that and became really good friends, then went to college and then it changed. And college friends that were probably good, not great friends, but then circumstances. And then I went to grad school in Columbus, Ohio, lived there for three or four years and started to make some good friendships, and then I moved to North Carolina. And then I thought, I gotta stop doing this. Like, I realized I don't wanna keep having friendships ripped away like this. And so we, um, we, my wife and I met at Hope Community Church when Hope was really small and developed some really good friendships. And I thought, man, I just wanna be friends with these people. And then God called us to plant a church, and so some of those friendships, like they're still here in town, you know, but you just don't connect in the same way that you did. And as a part of Oak City Church, have had great friendships, and some of those friendships have just been ripped away over the years, and others have been, um, I think Shannon Smith and I were texting last Sunday morning, reflecting on the fact that we've been friends for 20 years now. We can hardly believe that, you know, and so I'm at a point where I, like, I just want to, like, close it up, take all my good friends, move to Montana. I swear it won't be a cult. We'll just find a good chunk of land, and are we good? Can we do that? Are you in? We'll just all hang out together, um, because friendships are hard, Friendships are hard. Almost all friendships last, only last like meaningfully for a season. And maybe you're fine. Some people are fine with that. Like they're just a lot more flexible than me. I don't like that. Um, I find that to be difficult. Oftentimes friendships come to a difficult end. And that you throughout the Bible too. Um, and so you get a little, you know, you get a little scared of new friendships because you think maybe they've got an expiration date and I'm not sure how that's going to go. When John Fouché came on staff, we've been a part of this pastor's group for six or seven years now. First thing I told him when we started talking about this was, um, uh, man, I'm not sure I want to work with a good friend again. And I was honest with him and honest with the elders. And it's fantastic, you know, but I realized this aspect of things was true. And I think it gets harder to start and maintain meaningful friendships as you get older. You don't need them any less. You know, life doesn't get less complicated. It gets more complicated. Your schedule gets more difficult. 
whether you have a spouse and kids or you don't, because other people do it, you do, and you just get busy with life and work and taking care of things. And so friendships take a lot of effort. And your problems get more complicated. And it gets more complicated to ask for help because the older they get, you get, the more you think, I should have it together. I should know how to solve my problems, but then you can't, you know? And people get older and they tend to get less um, emotionally flexible. I'm trying to be gentle with this. Old people complain a lot, y'all. I, I think about this a lot and I realize I'm complaining about old people as I talk about old people complaining a lot. But they do, and their friends tend to be people that complain about the same stuff as them. Maybe that's true when you're younger, too. you got to be careful about that. That's not flexible, you know? <laughs> um, and so it just gets harder, and then you get to a place where you, you either think you've got it all figured out or you're too tired to figure it out anymore. And, um, and that's just one of the things I think about growing in the faith of Jesus is that you're, the goal is for you to be conformed to the image of Christ. Are you conformed to the image of Christ? That should be a quick no. You have not yet fully conformed to the image of Christ, right? Like there's a lot more conforming to do. I mean, everyone's going on family vacation. How long can you hang out with your extended family? It's a couple hours, a couple days. It's weeks a long time, right? Heaven is eternity, man. Like God's going to have to change us a whole lot for heaven to work out. We can't be at the beach in ideal circumstances, hang out with the people that we love the most. We are really screwed up. Amen? Like, you are more screwed up. I am more screwed up than we can realize. We need the gospel. We need Jesus. We need to be transformed. Right? And that needs to never stop. And God is going to use friendships to conform you. So you always need these friendships. Um, and so then the third point here is the church has the unique ability to facilitate the friendships that you need the most. And so a few months ago now, I gave a message. It was in the Connecting the Dots series. We, got to the, to, we went through the whole Bible in 40 weeks, and three of those messages were about Paul. It was like a mini-series on Paul, and one of them was about his legacy. And I went through First and Second Timothy, and I just read through those letters a few times and noticed some common things about what he communicated to Timothy and about their relationship. And it surprised me and has stuck with me and I've had conversations with you about it because it just, and so I'd encourage you to go back to listen to that message. But here's what I noticed and, and I think there are things that we need to tell each other regularly in, in vital friendships. Meaning, you know you have a meaningful friendship, Christian friendship if this stuff is happening. So you need people to tell you, I love you. Just Paul does it. He's like, I, Timothy, I care about you. I'm praying for you all the time. Every time I think of you, which is all the time, I'm thankful for you. You, that just fills you up, right? You need people that are willing to tell you that. I had listened to a podcast right about that time with a guy who said his, his mentor, one of his mentors in life had a hundredth birthday. And one of his birthday parties, when you're hundred, you get a lot of birthday parties. One of them was for mentees. And so there's 70 people there, this guy has mentored, and they all talked about how this guy had influ influenced their life. And one of the themes was that he would regularly call and leave them voicemails. Now, the guy's 100, so that's only like the second, last third of his life that he left voicemails because he's 100. Uh, but he left voicemails saying, hey, I just want you to know I love you, I care about you, and I'm praying for you. You need people that are just going to do that, like the random I love you. It really convicted me of I'm not good enough at doing that. Um, and so you need someone who's going to tell you that. Paul is consistently communicating to Timothy, here's who you are in Christ, content. Like, you don't let them look down upon you for your youth. 
Um, remember that the elders laid hands on you and they affirmed the gifting that God has given you. You are a man of God and you will act like a man of God. You need people that can apply the gospel to your circumstances because sometimes when you're in the thick of it, you can't see it. And you need people that know enough. They know Jesus well enough. They know the gospel well enough. They've downloaded enough content that they can interpret it and see how it fits in your life. And you need it you know, when you're low, you need people to tell you that you're made in the image of God, that he is in control, that he loves you, that he has a plan. You need to hear that. And you need it when you're high. You need people to tell you, hey, you are not God. So stop acting like it. You need people that will speak that into you. And you need people that will keep the bar, they'll tell you to keep the bar high in your life. Not to settle. I mean, Paul to Timothy, it's don't get bogged down and chasing. The, I mean, it's all money. Don't get, don't get caught up in the American dream. He's telling them that. Um, that's a trap. Sex can be a trap. Like, be careful and keep the bar high and don't settle. Uh, he says, I've, I've poured myself off, out. I've run to the finish line, Timothy, and you're going to do that too. And so we, we need that. We need people that are going to say, I love you. Here's who you are in Christ, and you need to keep the bar high. Uh, we've been talking since we've been at church about the importance of relationships and discipleship. We talk about programmatic discipleship, and programmatic discipleship usually keeps you accountable to downloading information, but it doesn't necessarily mean life change. And relational discipleship, where it's in context of relationships with each other, the accountability is to, is God changing your life? And I think those are, those are different. I started thinking about like the difference that should be between relationships in the church and outside the church, and I don't want to trash your friendships outside the church. I just, because you can have great friendships outside the church. Unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but like, because the church sometimes really screws things up, you can have more open relationships with people outside the church because you feel like you have to hide inside the church and you can't tell people what's really going on inside your heart. Uh, that stinks for the church because we've gotten content wrong. Because in this passage, he says that our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Like, when we can't, when we feel like we have to hide from each other, it's because we haven't understood the content. We haven't understood the gospel. And we're afraid to live it out to each other. Um, but but there's, a, there's a difference. And so in those three things, I love you. You can you definitely like love people. Shoot, love your neighbor. You know what I mean? Like You should be able to communicate that to people. I think it's a little bit different inside the church because inside the church, um, the Bible says that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. The only reason that this group of people would ever get together is because of the name of Jesus. Uh, and so we are family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and because of that, like, you have a different level of commitment to your family and to those friendships. Um, you, don't, you don't choose your family. You know, family chooses you, but you're committed to your family. You love your family even when you don't like your family. A lot of times when you stop liking your friends, you just go get new friends. Uh, in the church, really, we don't, we don't have that choice. And you have a different level of commitment and expectation when it comes to family and the sacrifices that you'll make for family than you do um, out, outside of uh, family. And so that's true of our friendships and the love that, that we are called to have for each other within the church. When it comes to that, like someone telling you, here's who you are in Christ, um, and the difference inside the church and outside the church. Relationships are always going to encourage you towards something. I've used this line a few times before. When my kids became teenagers, I told them, you will become the idiot that your five closest friends want you to be. You know, so be really careful with the friends that you make. Ken has said that more delicately for adults, that you are the sum of your five, 
you're like the sum of your five closest friends. I can't remember how you said that, but it was a better line than mine. Uh, but that's true. Your friends are going to influence you in a, a certain direction. Outside the context of the gospel, um, like where, where we're receiving the same message, discerning what God has revealed to us and trying to conform our lives to it, then what message, what outside of that, what message are we conforming to? And in our culture, it's probably something like follow your heart or you be you, you know, or you go girl. Guys don't say that. You go boy, doesn't happen, right? Or you got this. Like it's encouraging, but it's, um, it's, there's not a ton of direction to it. Uh, and, it's, and it's a little shallow. Uh, and with that, like, I don't know where the bar is set in that, but there's, we're not conforming to what God has sh- shown to us. We are conforming to something, and I think we're conforming to like the current cultural mood. We got in a conversation the other day, I got in this conversation a few times this week about all the virtue signaling that, is going, that goes on. Maybe it's always going on in culture, but you know, kind of the passive-aggressive ways that we s- signal that we're on board with things and... Um, and it came up, um, the conversation went to how this is uh, Pride Month and how a lot of corporations have, ad- have adjusted their logo so that they've got like a rainbow in their logo. But this is the first time I've ever kind of sensed this, that people are recognizing that that, that from a corporate standpoint, there's a profit motive behind that because they want to communicate something so that people will buy their product. And so they're really exploiting folks you know they're virtue signaling and people are back there's a backlash against that and i just what what i thought was like we just don't we're, we are a virtuous people it's a matter of where we'll get the virtues which virtues we're going to adopt and we don't even, i don't even think we realize it there's some irony of the church um having i don't know like advocated i mean the church by definition kind of advocates virtues you know, this is the way things are supposed to be and is hypocritical because we can't hold those virtues and that's why we need the gospel and the more we recognize that, the better. But when the church advocates virtues, I think the church is seen as like jamming it down people's throats. But culture is doing that all the time and people don't even get that it's the same thing. It's just a different set of virtues. My point in that is there's always a bar that's being set. Our culture is always setting a bar. It's a matter of which bar um, are people setting, and do we recognize that? And our friendships within the context of the gospel, within the church, are supposed to be setting that bar high. Here's who you're called to be as a child of God, as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mother, as a friend, and don't settle. Um, Don't settle. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's what that means. There's a passage in Ephesians that's similar. Um, In Ephesians 4, it says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's a lot of content in that. Um, 
that we are conforming to, and that's what maturity looks like, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes, which is to say there's going to be a bar set somewhere. Make sure you're setting the right bar. And then he says, rather, speaking the truth in love, which is relationship. Um, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Uh, And so Christ is that thing that we're being built up into, but that happens as we speak the truth to each other in love, and that only happens in uh, relationship. That recipe of... You you need content, you need the gospel, you need worship, and you need mission, you need application, you need to figure out what that looks like as you live out your life, but you need relationship that's going to hold those things together, is just discipleship. It's it's what every church is trying to do, and I'm less concerned with um, how that's happening in your life than that that's happening in your life, you know, but that is why we should not neglect meeting together, not just in this room on Sunday mornings, but in this room on Sunday mornings. And I've talked about how the micro, the micro expressions of love that happen on Sundays that we, don't, we just totally take for granted. But in all the ways that we call people to meet, home groups has been like a, a staple for us as a church and every church in different ways. Sunday school was home groups in church before there were home groups, right? And whatever it is, those are just different ways of gathering together in a context. And they're, they're like incubators for these relationships that are vital relationships. But you can do all those things and just be checking stuff off a list and not have friends that are going to say, I love you, here's who you are in Christ, and keep the bar high. Um, so, so home groups, we've had for years core groups of you know, three or four people that get together on a regular basis and um, challenge those things. And, and all of those, like you need to ask yourself if you have those. But I, in my Hall of Fame of Friendships, um, two that I didn't mention, uh, well, two different groups, I guess. Um, Kendall Quinn and Rob Kane were my core group for like seven years. We met at Starbucks at um, 5.40 in Falls at 5.45 on Thursday mornings, just about every Thursday morning. And, um, and it was very intentional. And those were great, meaningful uh, relationships that changed me. And then this cohort of pastors that I'm in was like, it's like an arranged marriage for pastors. And so this guy named Elliot, who's a good friend, said, you guys need friends. You don't have any good friends. We're like, we got friends. And he's like, you don't. Here, here's five other guys, and you just be friends. And now we're great, great friends. Like the intentionality behind it was awkward, but was super meaningful. Do you have that? If you don't, you're missing out on something. And if you aren't that, for somebody else. Somebody else is missing out on something. And uh, we've tried for years to make that a part of our culture as a church, and we will just continue trying to make that a part of the culture of our church. So I'm going to, the band's going to come back up. I'm going to give you a minute just to, like, just you and Jesus sit with your, your thoughts about this. And I'm going to ask you to, to really reflect on um, the priority of gathering together And is that the priority in your life that God wants it to be? And then really to ask yourself, do I have meaningful friendships where people are consistently telling me, I love you, here's who you are in Christ. You need to keep the bar high in life.
And am I doing that in my friendships? And if there's some repentance that needs to happen, then let that happen. Um, you know, if you, need, if you need to make changes in, in your, your schedules and your habits, like have conversations about that. If you need help, um, let us know. And then during this last song or two, I can't remember, we're going to invite you to take communion. Um, because, man, I, I mentioned the thing about family and... Um, and I, like over the past few years, I've realized in those relationships in particular, uh, your own family, your extended family, but your friends, like we, just how much we need the gospel. Because we're messed up people and we're going to hurt each other. And the gospel just tells us everything we know. Like to treat everybody with dignity because they're all made in the image of God, no matter how much they bother you sometimes. <laughs> Uh, that they're going to screw things up because we're broken, sinful people, and that's just what the Bible says is true about us. That God loved us enough to pay the consequences for our sins, to die on a cross for us, to rise from the dead, to, to equip us with the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, to make change possible in our lives and to never give up hope for those things. All of that's possible because of the gospel. And so this morning as you approach the table, do that knowing what Christ has done for you. Um, but also knowing how that should change our friendships. So I'm going to ask you to just take a minute and do that. We've got connect cards in front of you. If you have prayer requests that we could be praying for throughout the week, I'd love for you to fill that out on there and then just drop them in the box on the way out. And in just a minute, I'll pray, and then um, we'll continue in worship.